Well, good morning, everyone. This is our fifth and final day working our way through 1 Corinthians. And today we hit a biggie, the topic of the resurrection. We're looking at chapter 15, the second last chapter in the letter. I point that out because it is important to notice that Paul begins the letter with the crucifixion and concludes it with the resurrection. Chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And now in chapter 15, verses 20 to 21, he says, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. These bookends of Paul's message show that for Paul, the death and resurrection of Jesus is both the substance and the means of their faith. Both aspects of the gospel, the death of Christ and his resurrection three days later in bodily form are essential features of their Christian hope. So chapter 15 begins. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to, to Cephas and the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. Well, these verses are incredibly dense. Um, in fact, so is the whole chapter. So please know that I'm only skimming the surface. Paul gives us an excellent summary of the gospel, the gospel message that they've believed and by which they have been saved. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. The Corinthians had questions about the resurrection, but Paul is adamant that the complete gospel, the good news that saves, involves the death and resurrection of Jesus. This is what Paul has preached, this is what they have believed, and they should hold firmly to it in its entirety. See the emphasis on death and resurrection Death confirmed by burial, resurrection confirmed by the appearances. Also notice 
that this is not just the teaching of Paul. This is what he himself first received. They will hear the same gospel preached from him and any of the other apostles. This is not a growing mythology or just a concoction of Paul, but a fulfilment of the scriptures. It's a salvation event that was witnessed first by the twelve and then more than 500 other men and women witnessed the resurrected Jesus also, most of whom we read are still living. This is mind-blowing, really. I mean, Paul wrote this letter around the mid-50s while he was in Ephesus, and it would have been read and circulated among the early church. There would have been plenty of opportunity for any of those first eyewitnesses who were still living to dispute the claims of the gospel being shared. And the gospel as it is articulated here in 15 verses 3 to 5 is a creedal formula, a set of words that would have been confessed and taught in this exact formulation, a summary of the core beliefs of the Christian faith. It's recorded here for us, but um, it first emerged soon after the death and resurrection of Jesus, so soon in fact that the credibility of its claims is incredibly strong. If you're uncertain about the resurrection, Paul insists that it is of first importance, that the complete gospel involves both the atoning death of Jesus and the eternal life promised to all believers as they share in the resurrection life of Jesus, who rose and appeared in bodily form according to the scriptures. Take your stand on this. But someone will ask, we read on from verse 35, how are the dead raised? What, with what kind of body will they come? Confusion and misinformation about their eternal resurrection had actually contributed to the problematic practices in this very young church community. In chapter 14, we read that the Corinthians had many experiences of the Holy Spirit, supernatural experiences prophecy and tongues, and elsewhere, healing and other displays of miraculous powers are mentioned also. Their spiritualized experiences in worship had led many to believe that they were already experiencing the fullness of the kingdom of God. But Jesus is yet to return, and the Spirit is yet to resurrect believers for eternal life. Here is the double-sided problem of the incorrect understanding of end times. Some were still living like they still belong to the world, as if they don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them at all right now. They have not recognised the kingdom of God as it is experienced once they have been saved. They had been washed, justified, sanctified, made righteous, as we read in chapter 6. And yet others, we read today, are living like they already belong to the fully completed kingdom, reveling in spiritual worship, ignoring the task of the church to witness to unbelievers. They're still in the world and have a purpose in the world as the people of God to share the gospel through their words and their practices. Both these misunderstandings are to be corrected with a proper understanding of the resurrection. So Paul writes, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, 
but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendour of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendour of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendour, and the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendour. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrected body will be imperishable and immortal, a spiritual body. But it's not a misty, vaporous or ghost-like body. It will be a bodily resurrection but in the future will be fully governed by the spirit. That's what it means to have a spiritual body. No longer tainted by the flesh, sin and death therefore lose its power and sting. They, as we do, have much to rejoice in right now. Their salvation is complete and they are the people of God right now. But there is also a not yet aspect to the perfect experience of eternal life. So they should continue to labour, giving themselves fully to the work of the Lord, fulfilling their purpose to witness to God's saving gospel to an unbelieving world. This, as I said yesterday, will be accomplished if they are characterised in everything that they do by God's love. 1 Corinthians is such an incredible letter, but it's often avoided because of its tricky and seemingly very contextual instruction. I hope this week, as we've taken both a big picture view as well as some deep dives, you've been encouraged and equipped to live out your faith. For we also live in the same time zone, the now and not yet. We are the people of God and we have a certain hope for a glorious future. In the meantime, there is good work to do. Live as who you are, the holy, loved, redeemed, and washed people of God, saved by Jesus Christ, and enriched in every way by the Holy Spirit. God bless.